we recognize that there are some folks that are coming in that are not familiar with the book of Revelation. So let me just take just a really a, a real brief second to try to, to pull everybody in the room, whether you've been here every Sunday or, or not, just into, into the flow of, of where we are. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, our Lord, through the seven letters that he writes to seven churches in Asia Minor, what he does in a prophetic sense is he lines out for us the history of the church. It picks up where the book of Acts leaves off, and in a prophetic way, what he does is he brings us through church history in seven phases or seven stages. As we came to Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, uh, excuse me, verse 14, down through verse 22, it is descriptive, now listen very carefully, it is descriptive of the very period of time that we are living in right this very moment. It is what is called the Laodicean church period. What you find in verses 14 through 22 is a perfect description of what the church of Jesus Christ is on this planet as God looks out of heaven this morning. And we are living somewhere real close to verse 22, the very last days of the very last period of church history. And as soon as this period of time ends, what takes place in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is literally going to take place on this planet. And what takes place in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 in this book is what is called the rapture of the church. And it is that time when heaven will open, the Lord will descend, he will blow a trumpet, there will be the voice of the archangel, and all of the people that are on this planet will be immediately, instantaneously, the Bible says in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, they will bodily be removed from this planet. And Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is that time, and then through the remainder of chapter 4, what he is doing is he is describing for us what is going to take place in the very near future in heaven once the church of Jesus Christ has been raptured off of this planet and is in the presence of the Lord in glorified bodies. And John, very descriptively, takes us line upon line through everything that we will experience in, again, in the very near future that's going on in heaven. And it's... Uh, it's an incredible thing. I mean, John is just absolutely overwhelmed until God does something, something that's really strange. He does something that shuts heaven down, basically. Here is all of the worship that is going on, and this is described at the end of, of, of chapter 4. I mean, incredible worship all around the throne of God, and then God does something that just causes there to be absolute silence in heaven, what God does is he takes out a book. Actually, in, in the terminology that, that John used, it, it would have been a scroll in his day, but he pulls out a, a scroll, a scroll that has been sealed with seven seals. And God is wanting to let all of heaven know that there's still some unfinished business on this planet. There's still some things that need to take place, and this is wonderful all of the church all around the throne in glorified bodies, all worshiping God face to face, a glorious time. But God says, still something that needs to be done. And what that book is, we've seen this as we've compared Scripture with Scripture, is that book that he pulls out that causes there to be silence in heaven is the title deed of the earth. 
And whoever it is that can open this book will be the one that rules the earth. The scripture says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave him a copy of the title deed of the earth. When he sinned, that title deed passed into the possession of Satan. And that is why the Bible says that he is now the God of this world. And he has been operating in that kind of way for centuries and centuries and centuries now. And after the church has been raptured, God says, okay, it's time to annul the power of Satan on this planet. And he pulls out that sealed scroll, and an angel proclaims with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? And the Bible says that there was nobody in all of heaven, and nobody on the earth, and nobody under the earth, nobody in hell, that made a peep. Until all of a sudden, the Lamb stands up on the throne. The Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who redeemed all of us through His blood and redeemed this planet back to Himself. And what is taking place as we come to Revelation chapter 6 is the Lord Jesus Christ is opening the seven seals of this book that is the title deed of the earth. And we saw in verse 2, <clears throat> let's go to verse 1. John says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, this is the first seal, and he says, And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, and we trace this back to Revelation 4, 7, and we found out that the first beast, of course, is the lion. And he makes his pronouncement to come and see. In other words, John, come and see what's getting ready to take place on this planet now that the tribulation period is about to begin. And please understand, folks, now, now make sure you understand terminology. The rapture is that period of time, that instantaneous time, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the clouds for his saints. As he begins to open the seven seals in heaven, what it does is it begins the seven-year period of tribulation on the earth. That's what we're finding ourselves in as we come to chapter 6. And... And the, the first beast, the lion, says to John, Come and see. And John says, And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And what we're getting ready to see are the four horsemen of Revelation. And he says, Behold, a white horse. The first horse was the white horse. He that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Again, I wish I could put everything that we talked about last week into your head right now. But what this is, is John sees the rider of this first horse on a white horse. It's the same kind of horse that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to ride out of heaven in Revelation chapter 19. At the conclusion of this seven-year period, he will come out of heaven on a white horse back to this earth. An event that is called the second coming of Christ. And what we see here is one who is an imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the false Christ, the revelation of the false Christ, what we have come to call the Antichrist, as he's described in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 and other places in the writings of John. And what it says in verse 2 is that he is coming to this planet. We saw it last week. He will be the slickest thing that you have ever seen in your life he is an imitator and 
he is fueled by the power of Satan himself. And you see, Satan's downfall in the very beginning was he wanted to be like the Most High. And for at least the last 6,000 years, Satan has been watching very carefully the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes and on this planet, in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2, he is putting on the dog, buddy. I mean, you, you really wouldn't even be able to tell the difference between this guy and the Lord Jesus Christ because he is an incredible imitator. And that's what's taking place. And what, what verse 2 is descriptive of is a time on this planet when the Antichrist comes to, to settle the world after the rapture and all of the, the chaos that's going on in the Middle East, even as we speak. He comes not with not with weapons to take his crown or his authority. He comes in the name of peace. You'll notice in verse 2 he comes with a bow, but there's no arrows. But he is going forth and he is conquering. And his purpose is to conquer. He wants to rule the world and he takes that position. In verse 2, as the Lord Jesus Christ opens the first seal. And now let's move to the opening of the second seal. Look at what John says in, in verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, okay, now, now be reminded that the he that opened the seal is the Lamb. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he opened the second seal, John says, I heard the second beast say, and we know from Revelation chapter 4 and verse 7, that the second beast was the calf. And he makes his pronouncement to John to, to come and see. Something else is about to be unfolded here. And John tells you what he saw in verse 4. He says, and there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And I think it's pretty obvious by that description that this second horseman on the red horse is representative of war and bloodshed. Red in the Bible, every time you find it, is going to be a, a symbol of, of blood. And here is the second horseman on the red horse representative of war and bloodshed. You, you see, verse 4 says, he takes peace. From the earth okay when you take peace from the earth what happens you're in the midst of warfare okay and the antichrist comes on the scene as we just said peacefully in verse 2 what you find is that his campaign of religious unity and and peace and goodwill toward men is going to be real short-lived oh he, he's going to come in and and, and he's going to stabilize this world emotionally He'll stabilize the world economically. He'll stabilize the world politically. He'll even stabilize the world spiritually for a while. As Satan, as an angel of light on that white horse, goes throughout the world gaining dominance over the world in the name of peace, he, he goes and he conquers in the name of peace and the, the specific time period it is actually going on here. It isn't given, but the white horse isn't hardly out of view before the rider on the red horse 
appears and he takes peace from the earth. Listen, he personifies world war. And I'm talking on a scale that this earth has never, ever known. Now, now as we look back over our shoulder in this, this century, I, I realize that this century has produced the two biggest and bloodiest wars in the history of mankind. The first one was what was called the Great War. And a lot of you remember when it would have been called by that name. Most of us that are young people are, aren't. Most of us don't call it the, the Great War. It was called the Great War because it was supposed to be the war that ended all wars. We now call it World War One. Because you see, as we well know, it was just a real brief period of time before there was another world war, World War II. But I want you to understand something. Listen, during the tribulation period, the atrocities, I mean, those were the, the bloodiest wars that have ever been fought on this planet. But now listen, during the tribulation period, the atrocities of those wars is going to almost seem humane. That, that's why the end of verse 4 says, And there was given unto him a great sword. It's depicting a time of unbelievable international warfare. And I want to remind you of something that we, we, we said last week, and I, I want to make sure that you don't miss this. And, and that is that the tribulation period is that time when man reaps the full harvest of sin. Uh, the, the reason that this is such an incredibly great sword that he's talking about, understand it, during the tribulation period, it is a time of no restraints. And when our Lord opens this second seal, listen, when he opens that second seal, all of the ungodly deeds and ungodly desires and passions and lust and anger and hatred and violence of ungodly men are totally unbridled. And what starts coming busting out of man's heart is all of the, the, the yuck, all of the ungodliness that is in there. And as it comes busting out of his heart, war engulfs, totally engulfs this planet. This is that time that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7 when he said, For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And again, this century has, has produced some of the, the most horrendous leaders of nations that have ever existed. Men like Adolf Hitler and Gaddafi uh, and Khomeini and, and Hussein, men who, who seemed like they had absolutely no regard for human life. But I understand something. During the tribulation period, there's not a nation in the world who is being led by anybody that has any regard whatsoever for human life. Ever since Cain murdered Abel in Genesis chapter 4, almost 6,000 years ago, war has been escalating on this planet and, and again we've seen some of the 
the shadows of this this period of time that we're talking about here we've seen some of those shadows cast in this century but buddy listen the world ain't seen nothing yet and again man man has been killing mankind ever since Cain thumped Abel but John is describing something here something that it is totally different he is describing here a a, a state of open armed civil rebellion where the people of this earth are pouring out their vengeance on one another and spilling one another's blood as if it were water during this period all of the angry hateful passions of man's heart will be totally unbridled and again we've seen the 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 shadows of, of this second rider on this second horse we've seen some of the shadows being cast in in the last several decades of this century let let me show you some of these shadows the march 11th 1992 issue of the chicago tribune carried an article about an eight-year-old chicago boy who pulled out a pistol out of his lunchbox and at point-blank range shot the girl the eight-year-old girl sitting in front of him in reading class for kicks. In Richmond, Texas, after beating his mother to death with a dozen blows from a baseball bat, the 15-year-old son explained during his trial, I played a little baseball with my mother. The October 15, 1994 Chicago Sun-Times carried an article of how a 10-year-old boy and his 11-year-old friend asked a five-year-old boy to, to steal some candy for him. And when the little boy refused, they threw him out of a 14th-story window to his death over candy. While a group of boys was, was playing soccer on a South Bronx street, a, a father of one of the boys became just a little bit suspicious about the, the ball that they were, they were using, and he called the police and found that the boys were kicking a human head that was wrapped in rags. A 10-year-old Houston boy fatally shot his 45-year-old mother and his 47-year-old mother because they wouldn't let him go out and play. A Pennsylvania man killed his friend by, by shooting him in the chest with a bow and arrow over a Monopoly game. The Bucks County District Attorney stated The defendant wanted to be the car rather than the thimble or the hat. An Illinois man shot his 88-year-old mother because she insisted on watching the Cosby show when he wanted to watch something else. You see, we're, we're living at a time where the shadows of this period are being cast on this this planet. But please understand, these are just the shadows of this second horseman. And they don't, these things, these these weirded out, angry, this is nothing compared to the time that is being described for us in in verses 3 and 4. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 37, now listen to this very carefully. 
This is going to blow some of you away. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, now you got that? Jesus said, if you want to know what it's going to be like during this period here in Revelation chapter 6 with the second horseman that comes on this red horse, if you want to know what that period is like, he says, it's going to be just like it was during the days of Noah. Now listen, we've only got one chapter in the Bible to tell us what the days of Noah were like. So it's not like, you know, real tough to figure out the, the chapter. Is, I mean, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is the creation of man. Chapter 3 is his fall. Chapter 4 is all about Cain killing Abel. Chapter 5 is nothing but a, a, a genealogy. And then you come to chapter 6, and you know what it is? It's the days of Noah. And you know what you find in Genesis chapter 6? It says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, listen to it now. And, and remember now, I, the reason we're here, the reason I'm showing you this is what Jesus said, if you want to know what it's going to be like during this period of time in Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, it's going to be like this. Genesis 6, 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually Genesis chapter 6 and verse 11 adds that the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled now you getting that the earth was completely filled with violence and you know what is you know what is really sad folks I I know a lot of a lot of good moral, respectable, well-meaning people that are alive on this planet right now who have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Some of these people that I'm talking about are even religious people, people who go to church all the time and are doing every single thing that their religion is telling them to do. The only problem is their religion never tells them that being religious and being a, a good deed-doer and being a nice, moral, tax-paying citizen isn't what God's looking for. And because they're not, their religion never guides them to the Bible, which clearly spells all of that out, they never come to Jesus Christ and to Him alone as their only hope for salvation. And what is sad, now, now listen, what is sad and what is just so wild to think about is that based on what Jesus said about the time of tribulation being like the days of Noah, and you saw it, every thought of man, every thought, it's full of wickedness, it's full of violence, it, it's just that during the tribulation it's even going to be on a much grander scale than it was in the days of Noah. But what it is telling us is that during the tribulation period, even the nice, moral, good Joes of the world right now, during the tribulation period, these good Joes of the world, some that are sitting in this room right now, will become unbelievably wicked. 
and violent and will have only evil in their heart and mind continually. And some of you who are here this morning and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I know you're hearing that right now and you're thinking to yourself, no, no, not, not me, man. I, wow, that's incredible. I'd never be like that, man. I'm a, I'm a good person. Man, I, I'd, I'd never do anything to harm anybody, much less kill them or, or, or you know, attempt to, to take their life. But I want you to know something. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 12, there is none that doeth good. Well, I'm too good of a person to ever become like what you're describing there. There is none that doeth good. And God knew we were going we to pull out an exception. It, it, it might have been us. It might have been, well, you know, I, I know my, my mother, and she was a good person, and she didn't do all this stuff you're talking about receiving Jesus Christ. But I'll just tell you what, she was a good person. God says, no. There's none that doeth good. No. Not one. Not one. And during the tribulation period, all of the people on this earth who thought they were so good that they didn't need Jesus Christ, if the Bible is a true book and it's never missed yet, if the Bible is a true book, what those people are going to find out during the tribulation period is just how ungood they really are. And what they're going to find out is that there is absolutely no sin. The good Joes of this world are going to find out during the tribulation period that there is no sin that they are not capable of committing. Even murder. It says that this second horseman was given power that they should kill one another. You see, I, I'm afraid that sometimes people have the idea that, you know, man, you know, I, I recognize that during the tribulation period the world's going to go through some changes, but, but a lot of times people think, well, but things for me personally are pretty much going to be stay the same and you know I, I know all that that bad stuff's going to happen but I'm somehow people get this in their mind somehow they won't be affected no you will be affected verse 4 of Revelation chapter 6 it means you peace will be taken from you and from this peaceful nation that you live in and you will become violent even a, a killer you say oh no i'm telling you not me that you say that's one of the reasons that i keep coming on sundays is because i, I want to hear about all this because when i see all of this stuff in the tribulation period beginning to happen I, i'm going to call on the, on the name of the lord jesus christ to save me, save me oh yeah that's why i keep coming here man and you know what? That, that all sounds well and good. The only problem is the Bible says that you won't. And the reason that you won't is it's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you would turn back there. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hear about all this stuff because, uh, yeah, during the tribulation period, that's, that's when I'm going to get saved. God says, no, you won't. And the reason you won't is because, listen, if you will not respond to the light that God is giving you now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, says that you and every other person on this planet like you, it says that God shall send them, that's you, that God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, folks, that's some real strong stuff, but you better realize that that's the way it is. You, you believe the truth of this book now while God is doing every single thing within the power of His Spirit to reveal the truth of this book to you, or, second, the rapture takes place on this planet, you will be sent strong delusion during the tribulation period when the Antichrist comes on the scene and you will believe his lie. I mean, that, that's some real sobering stuff, and I, I realize that. And, and, and it gets a little more sobering. If you want to really get to the bottom line of why some of you folks that are here this morning, if you want to get to the bottom line of why some of you still haven't gotten saved, God gives it to you right here in verse 12. The reason... You're having such a hard time believing the truth. Look at the end of verse 12. It's because you have pleasure in unrighteousness. In other words, you don't want to get saved because you're afraid that it's going to mess up all the fun you're supposedly having right now. And listen, if hearing this, this stuff is ticking you off right now, would you do me a favor? Would you just ask yourself right now, who is it that you're really mad at? Because God said it, and I'm I'm just telling you what He said, and I'm I'm responsible to do that. Now, if you want to get mad at me, you know, I I can I can live with that. I you know what I, I I'm telling you, I gladly choose to get you so ticked off this morning that you couldn't sleep tonight. You, the, the, the truth that we're talking about here, that they would so grip your soul that until you received Jesus Christ, you couldn't rest. I, I, man, I, there's nothing that would thrill me more than to be able to do that. And, and I want you to know something, okay? You, you know what? The Bible, it, it, it's, a, it's an honest book. And, and you know this? It, it even admits that there is pleasure in sin for a season? I mean, the Scripture just clearly says that. But, but I want you to know something. If you're going to let the, the pleasure of sin keep you from getting saved, you, you better get busy doing some major sinning and grabbing for all the gusto that you can through that sin. Find all the pleasure that you can right now because this book says as soon as this season comes to an end, 
and we enter the season that is called the tribulation period, there is no more pleasure in sin. So listen, if you don't plan on getting saved, find all the pleasure you can in sin now. Because I'm telling you, the season is about to change on this planet. And no more, no more fun. And would you notice one more thing? Go back to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 4. Notice one more thing about the, the rider of this red horse. Now, we, we talked about his power to take peace from the earth and the power of his great sword and his power to cause the people of this planet to kill one another. But verse 4 lets us know something else here. It, it lets us know that this power will be given to him. Verse 4 says, And power was given to him that sat thereon to do all of the, the, these things. You see, he, he doesn't have the power within himself. The power is given to him by another. You say, oh yeah, that's right. I, I know exactly what it's talking about there. That's talking about the devil. Is it? Is that who gives him the power? No, I understand. He fuels. But, but understand this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And don't make any mistake about it, folks. Satan and all of his dirty, stinking imps wouldn't have any power at all were it not permitted by the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember when, when Jesus was on, on trial there before Pilate? Pilate says to him in, in John chapter 19 and in verse 10, and I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus, he, he's, Pilate says to Jesus, What's up with you? Don't you realize that I have the power to crucify you and the power to let you go? Remember what Jesus answered in John 19 and verse 11? Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given to thee from where above you say whoa, whoa. You, you mean this this power of, of the second horseman was given to him by God that's right you see, God does with this one, the rider on this horse. He, he uses him the same way that he did Pharaoh. Romans chapter 9 and verse 17 says, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, listen to it, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. And the same thing that he did with raising up wicked Pharaoh, God is going to raise up this second horseman in the book of Revelation. You say, well, I'm not sure I, I, I get it. Well, do you remember last week we saw from Psalm 110 and verse 5? It, it says that this period is the day of God's wrath. Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 3 says that it is the day of his anger. Joel chapter 1 verse 15 says it's a day of destruction from the Almighty. And you see folks, God sent men 
his offer of peace when his son, the Prince of Peace, was born. But the Bible says that we esteemed him not, and through our sin, every single one of us spit in his face and had part in crucifying him and shedding his blood. You see, the opening of this second seal is when peace is taken from the earth and sinful man finally reaps the full harvest of his choice of sin rather than a savior. And that's what's happening as the second seal is opened up. And you know what? All throughout history, man has been clamoring to get what he thinks he deserves. And, and you know what? At this point in the tribulation period, he's finally getting it. He made the choice of sin, and now the choice is coming home to roost. Now it's full-blown. Now it's just what sin is. Death. And now let's very cheerily move to the opening of the third seal. Look at verse 5. John says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say. Again, according to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 7, this third beast is the man. And this is what he said, Come and see. Okay, here it is. We're just further down the road during the tribulation period. Something more is being unfolded to John. The beast says, come and see. And John says, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So our Lord opens this, this third seal of this book, which is the title deed of the earth. And as he opens this third seal, it reveals the third horse, the black horse. And it reveals its third rider, which represents famine and economic catastrophe. Famine and economic catastrophe. If you just begin to check it out, what you find is that black is the color that is used in the Bible in connection with famine. In fact, let's go back for just a sec to the book of Lamentations. Psalms is in the middle of your, your, your Bible. If you turn to the right there, you'll come into Isaiah and then Jeremiah and then the little book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 4 and, and, and verse 8 and 9, Jeremiah is describing a judgment of famine that came upon the nation of Israel. And look at what he said in, in verse 8. Their, their visage, that's their, their, their form, that's their, their body as it were, is blacker than a coal. 
blacker than a piece of coal. They are not known in the streets. You, you can't even tell who these people are anymore. Their skin cleaveth to their bones. It is withered. It has become like a stick. And have you, you've seen the pictures of, of the people who are living in a famous country and their, their skin becomes black and withered. And I mean, if you were to cut off one of their limbs, it, it looks just like a, a stick off of a tree. The bark and the, the withered a- aspect of that thing. Look at verse 9. They that be slain with the sword are better than they that be slain with hunger. You know what he's saying? You know, you'd be better to have your head chopped off with a sword than to die the death of a famine. These pine away, stricken through for want of the fruits of the field. And what you see in verse 8 again is the connection of famine with the color black. Jeremiah gives us the same connection over in chapter 5. Just turn the page or look across the page. Lamentations chapter 5 and look at verse 10. It says, Our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. And again, Jeremiah makes the same connection in Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. Jude makes the connection in Jude verses 12 and 13. So black in the Scripture is, is a word that is used in connection with, with famine. And you see, famine is usually something that comes right after war. That and, and inflation. We, we, we saw that in World War I. And right after the red horse representing war, here comes the black horse bringing in the judgment of worldwide famine and worldwide economic collapse. And watch how John describes the rider of this horse. Go back to Revelation chapter 6 now. Watch how John describes him here. Look at the end of verse 5. He says, And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. Now, now some of you who are younger, some of the young people, junior high and maybe even high school, you, you may not know what a balance is, but it, what it is, it's just basically you know, a, a, a scale where you have a, a pan on this side, you have a pan on this side, and you, you put the proper weight on, on, in one of the pans, and then whatever it is that you're measuring, you put that amount until, until it balances out, until that arrow right in the middle goes right up on there, you know, the needle comes right on there. And you've got, so like if you wanted to, to measure out something that was a, a pound of whatever, you put a pound weight over here, and then you start adding whatever it is that you're measuring until that thing balances out. And now listen, normally, a balance is used, I mean, we, we, you know, I mean, you, you get bags of stuff, you know. You don't mess around with, you know, weighting things like this. Normally, you use a, a balance to measure out a precious commodity. Uh, things that aren't found in abundance. You know, things like gold and, and, and silver. But you see, at this point in the tribulation, the most precious commodity on this planet will not be gold. It'll be food. And here you find food being measured out as if it were gold. 
That's how scarce and precious of a commodity it is. And and that's what the voice John heard in verse 6 that was in the midst of the four beasts was saying. Look look at verse 6 in the middle. He says, A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. Now, now understand something, that when we read penny, you know, we kind of think of a little copper coin with, you know, Abraham Lincoln's mug on on that thing. And, you know, uh, by 1998 standards, a penny for a measure of wheat is an unbelievable bargain, man. I mean, this is not inflation. This is not economic catastrophe, man. This is great. But obviously, John's not talking about a U.S. penny here. And we won't take the time to go over there, but if you let the Bible define the Bible, what you find is that in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 2, what you find is that a a penny is the equivalent of a man's wage for a full day's work. And buddy, you you better let the Bible define the Bible for you. Don't think of a U.S. penny here. It is the equivalent of a man's wage for a full day's work. And check this out. A measure of wheat is approximately the amount of food that a laboring man would eat in one meal. So at this point in the tribulation, you know what this is saying? It it says that you work all day to buy a measure of wheat and you have one meal and you can choose to do that or you can work all day to buy three measures of barley. You can see barley is a lesser grain and if you choose the barley route then you could have three meals in a day. But any way you slice it, at this point in the tribulation period, a man will spend Everything he has just for his own daily sustenance. And listen, forget about the other necessities of life, much less the luxuries of life. And you see, even after he's done all of that, after he has spent all that he has to feed himself, do you realize it leaves absolutely nothing for his wife and his children if he's married? And if he has elderly parents that he's needing to provide for, because please do not think that the Antichrist is going to have a social security system set up for all the elderly folks of the planet. You you know, I'm I'm not trying to be facetious, but you know what? If you don't plan on getting saved, and if you want to add a few more months to your life during the tribulation period, maybe... Maybe a few years, no more than seven, I promise you. But if, if, if you want to add a few more years to your life during the tribulation, don't stockpile gold and silver. If you're a wise person, you know what you'll start stockpiling? Wheat. Because you see, Ezekiel chapter 7, and verse 19, listen to it. It says, during this time... They shall cast their silver in the streets, and their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. We saw just a couple of weeks ago the prophetic application of the book of James. In fact, we're real close. Just take a left there 
and turn back to the book of James. We saw that the prophetic application of the book of James is that this is a book that was written to the Jew when? Hello? In the tribulation period. And that's why James chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 says this, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. So listen. Don't stockpile gold and silver. During the tribulation, the Bible says it will be worthless. Stockpile wheat. And then you know what? Then you can have the fine distinction of being one of the wealthiest people in the world. And then you can die and have the even greater distinction of being one of the wealthiest people who ever split hell wide open. And again, I'm saying that not to be facetious. I'm saying that to try to get you to see the absolute absurdity of you rejecting Christ based on everything that you know is true. I mean, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous that people on this planet right now can see everything that's going on all around us and somehow choose to go through that period. So listen, if you're going to choose to go through that period, at least make some wise decisions about life. And if you want to know how, how soon this, this time actually is, understand, we can see some of the shadows of this third horseman being cast on the earth right now, just like we could see the shadows of that second horseman being cast on this planet. Folks, do you, do you realize that in 1998, right this minute, that half of the world is going to go to bed hungry tonight? Did you know that when we sit down this afternoon to have our Sunday dinner, that just in that brief little period of time while we're stuffing our face, that there will be 400 people who will die of starvation on this planet just while we're eating the meal? And by the end of the day today, there will be 10,000 people on this planet who starved to death, and it will happen every single day this year. 10,000 thousand a day and you see we, we don't understand the condition of the world because we're we're americans and, and we live in a disney world kind of existence because you do you realize that every single day every family in this country throws in their garbage can enough to feed a family of six in india every single day Researchers tell us that the average American dog has a higher protein diet than most of the people of the world. So you see, as Americans, you know, we're just footloose and fancy free. We're just walking through the last days on this planet as if, oh man, everything's just fine. I'm telling you the shadows 
are being cast of this black horseman at this very time on this planet, do you realize that half of the preschool age children of the world are so undernourished that they're even physically and mentally retarded? Right now, and listen, it's not getting any better. Every dawn finds 203,000 more mouths to feed. Every year, the net increase of births over death is 74 million people. 74 million more mouths a year to feed. And again, understand that the things that we're talking about right now that are going on on this planet... These are just the shadows uh, uh, that are being cast by the rider of this black horse. John is, is, is describing here a, a famine of worldwide proportion where a day's wage is what it's going to take just to feed yourself one meal. And, and it's going to get worse next week with the next horseman. But look at the end of verse 6. The voice John heard said to the rider of this black horse, And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. See, those are luxury food items. And the implication is that the luxury food items won't be scarce during the tribulation period. What's going to be scarce is the necessities. You see, you'll you'll die on a diet of wine and oil. It doesn't matter how much of those you have. You're going to croak. And you see, when you're spending all of your money on the the very necessities, and even then, they're not enough, then, I mean, you don't have anything left for the luxuries anyway. So it doesn't really matter how much they cost or how much they're in abundance. And, And can I remind you? stuff that we're talking about this is going to be what is going to happen to the people that we know that we work with that are in our family that we live near and even some of the people that are in this room this morning I'm telling you it just it almost freaks me out to think that the, the horrendous stuff that's going to happen on this planet is going to happen not to some far distant group of people somewhere. The people that we know, the people that we have a relationship with, people that we have an opportunity to talk to every single day. I'm going to take you to one final passage this morning in the book of Isaiah. Psalms is in really the middle of your your Bible and just get there and and, and go to the right a little bit. Isaiah. Chapter 55. (coughs) And once you've gotten there, if you would, do me a favor. I'd like to ask you to just look up here. Isaiah 55. Once you've gotten there, just, just look up here. Everything that I've shown you this morning is going to happen on this planet. 
And it's going to happen in the very near future. God has a track record, folks, of being right 1,000% of the time. He's never fouled a ball. He's never struck out. He's never missed a pitch. When it comes to prophecy, God has a track record of being 1,000% right. And I promise you, He's not going to miss on this one. We are living in incredible days right now, and we can see the shadows of what's getting ready to happen. It's all around us. We've seen it with the red horse. We've seen it with the black horse. It's going to be an incredible time of famine on this planet. But what some of you don't realize this morning is that you're already living in a famineous time. Your soul is famined. Your soul is starving. Your soul is thirsty. And you've been going through life trying to feed a hunger that is going on inside of you that you haven't quite fully pinpointed but you just keep going and going and going trying to find out what is it that really makes life tick. And you know what you're doing right now? You're spending all of your money to feed a famine. But what you're spending your money on will never feed you. And that's exactly what Isaiah is talking about here in Isaiah chapter 55. Look, look at what he says. Oh! He's trying to get your attention. And oh man, listen, God brought you here today to try to get your attention. Oh! Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, Come by wine and milk without money and without price. You, you see, the thing that will feed your soul and quench the thirst in your soul, you cannot buy. It's a gift. God gave you the gift. But you know what you're doing? It's verse 2. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? In other words, why do you keep, why do you keep spending money trying to, to satisfy something that is not feeding the real hunger in your soul? Why do you keep doing this? And your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. Your soul is famined. And do you realize you're never going to know what life is really all about until you humble yourself and come to Jesus Christ and receive the gift that He has provided for your soul? You know what famined our soul, folks? Sin. It's left us all absolutely, totally destitute, bankrupt in our soul. And God says, there's nothing that you can do to satisfy it. So here, 
let, let, me, let me give you a gift that can provide for your soul what you can never feed it materially. He gave himself as a sacrifice for your sin. That's why he died on the cross and shed his blood so that your sin could be removed so that he could move into your soul and bring it to life and so that you could fellowship with him once again. Now, now, can I just can I just ask you something? Some of you that are here this morning and you're not saved. What is it going to take to wake you up? I, what more do you think God's going to do for you other than carting you into a room and, and having somebody bust out his book and start just showing you exactly what God is wanting you to see on this planet. What more do you think He's going to do? And can I promise you this? There's nothing more He will do. This is it. You know what? I don't think I like this place. You're all too serious about all this. Listen. As soon as that trumpet sounds, things are going to get real serious on this planet. Now's the time. Christians, would you pray? Let's bow our heads. Oh, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, would you listen to Him today? Would you respond to His invitation to you? He's, he's calling to you by His Spirit right now. That's what, you, that's what you're sensing in, inside of you right now. That's why your heart is pounding the way that it is right now. It's because God's at work in your life right now. He, he's, he's saying, Ho! And will you respond to Him today? Now, now listen very carefully. Our service is about to, to be concluded. We'll be dismissed. People start walking out the back of the room. If God is speaking to you today about your need to receive Jesus Christ, I, I strongly urge you, on the basis of the truth of the Word of God, I strongly urge you not to leave today until you've responded to His invitation. You say, well, what, what does that mean? Well, as the service is being concluded, our pastors will remain up on either side of, of this worship center. And, and they're positioning themselves there for you. And before you leave today, would you do this? If God is speaking to your heart, just go to one of these men. They'll help you. That's what this is all about. We're, we're here to help you. And just to, to direct you, not to... Not to this church, but to the God of the Bible. We'll take the Bible and we'll show you how today you can come into a personal relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, if God's speaking to you, there is nothing, nothing, nothing more important than you responding to His invitation today while you still have time. Oh God, 
right now by your Spirit, would you take the truth of the Word of God to the hearts of people in this room. Give them the courage right now, the courage of mind to to make the decision to, to not leave this room until they've talked to somebody about their need. And for those of us that know you, Please do not let these truths pass us and just be something to fill our heads with information and fill us with some kind of carnal thrill of, of knowing what these things in the book of Revelation mean. May it grip our soul to where our lives are different. We purify our life and we do everything that we can to be used by you to reach this world that is so famished in their souls. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.